Hey listeners, I'm particularly excited about today's episode because it's our first time having someone from Insider on the podcast. Um, her name's Samantha. She tweeted something that caught my attention. Uh, more on that later, but it's a plea for startups to have contact information on their website. I saw that and I'm like, oh, that's exactly what we talk about on the show. So we're going to dive into that and a little more about her work and how publicists can better work with Samantha. So let's dive in. Samantha Stokes is a VC and startups reporter at Insider writing about health tech. She's interested in mental health tech and particularly women's health startups. Previously, she was on the finance team over at Insider where she wrote about Wall Street and big law. Samantha graduated from the University of Missouri and Columbia Journalism School. We're so excited to have you. Welcome to our show, Samantha. Hi, thank you so much. Really excited to be here and to chat with you. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for taking the time. And of course, no show would be complete without our co-host, Britt Klontz. Britt, say hi. Hi. Thank you so much, Samantha. This is really exciting. Yeah, we're, we get very excited um, about a lot of things that we like to share that because uh, I don't know. It's just like when you're in this industry long enough, it's like... When you see something new, it's just... I mean, almost every campaign that I work on, I've probably pitched to Insider yeah. because there's so many different <laughs> journalists there covering different topics. Yes. So I don't think I've I had the pleasure that. of pitching you yet, Samantha. Um, yeah, I, I have. <laughs> I, I don't think so. But yeah, you've, you've definitely pitched one or many of my colleagues. We have a lot of really, really great journalists who cover a lot of really really niche and interesting things. So I, I'm sure you've you've seen a lot of us around in a lot of our bylines. But yeah, I don't think I worked with either of you before. So excited to dig in here. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that's great. Um, before we hopped on call, you shared with me a story that you had written that had stemmed from some kind of PR pitch. I was wondering if you wouldn't mind um, just summarizing the piece and letting us know how it came to be. Yeah, of course. I would love to walk you through that. Um, so I guess like first thing to know about Insider is we do publish a lot of lists as kind of just in our general reporting repertoire. So, you know, whether that's, you know, my beat is like healthcare and startups. And so it might be a list of health tech VCs or a list of startups in a particular space. We, we tend to do them a lot in our coverage. And this was an example of the latter. So um, I cover healthcare. I have a background in finance. I, and we can talk a little bit more in a second about where the PR and the pitches come into this, but I've been hearing a lot about this intersection between healthcare and fintech. Um, and so recently in the last couple of weeks, I was able to publish a story that was um, explaining a little bit about the space, why there's increased innovation um, in all of these fintechs coming in to solve the many big problems in healthcare when it comes to money. Um, and then we included, I think the list was 14 startups in the space that everybody should know about. So whether it was buy now, pay later for big medical bills or, you know, a wellness credit card that gives you extra cash back when you're spending on, you know, health and wellness um, categories or plenty of other um, startups that were in this broad space, um, this story encompassed kind of all of that and talked a little bit about, yeah, why, um, why there's so much interest from VCs and why there's growth in this space. And I like this story and I, and I think it's a great one to bring up because um, it actually stemmed from a bunch of PR pitches that frankly um, weren't very timely. I think a lot of these that I went back and looked at and I had stored them away in a folder were maybe from six or eight months ago. Um, but it's something that was just like a recurring theme over and over again. And for a while, it just didn't really make sense to cover um, as a one-off, maybe back in the fall. Um, but I was able to kind of go to my editor and say, look at all of these examples that I have. Look at all these people who want to talk about the space. And then we were able to roll that up into a bigger story um, that got published, you know, last week or a few weeks ago. Wow. That's really cool. I I know that like you had prepared this. I did not realize it was from multiple PR pitches. Um, that's really interesting and cool. Yeah. I, I think it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, it was, I was talking with a coworker actually who used to be on my drug team and she was covering fintechs and she was getting all of these pitches. And then at the same time I was getting the same pitches that were 
catered to me as, as a little bit more of a healthcare reporter. So we were getting some of these same pitches yeah. from these same companies and then she would get some and then I would get some. And, you know, for whatever reason, we just, I think it was like sign off from our editor. Like it, it wasn't, it really didn't make sense to cover, you know, just one startup. Um, I don't think anybody yep. was really raising or maybe there was maybe like one fundraising round, but it was kind of one of those things where it's like, this is really interesting information. I'm not sure that there's a format, you know, at the time that, that works for us in our coverage, but I'm going to set these aside. And I regularly do that with pitches where maybe it doesn't make sense for me right now, but I have like multiple folders that I'm just hanging on to things where maybe the timeline's a little bit extended, but two months, four months down the road, um, when I get an assignment or when I get started on a, a story, I, it's always, you know, going to peak my, you know, oh, I definitely have an email about this from a few months ago from somebody and I need to go back and look at that. And that's how it's really fun when, you know, sources and conversations will stem out of those kind of stale pitches. But um, it really goes to show that, you know, it, it, it can work even if it's the timeline is, is a lot longer. Yes. Love that. Never give up. <laughs> you never know when someone might respond to that email. It could be months later. <laughs> I have a quick question, not to butt in here, but um, please do. I'm <laughs> there, curious what you have to ask. Yeah, <laughs> there are 14 startups in this article, I believe. And how did you choose them? Were they all from pitches, or just a, how many exactly were from pitches? I guess is my question. Yeah, so it was uh, kind of a mixture. So the the pitches were definitely the jumping off point. It's like a good. Um, data point to bring to an editor to say, I think there's enough here to write a story. Um, and a lot of those pitches uh, did end up making it in the final piece. And then the other part of that is going to sources and industry experts. So I chatted with a lot of VCs who are really interested in this space and just either would ask open-endedly, you know, who in this fintech health tech intersection are you, you know, particularly interested in or who have you invested in or who do you wish you had invested in? Um, and then sometimes going back and saying, well, here's the list I have, like, which ones do you think are, are worth including? Are there any that you've heard, you know, not great things about that I should take into consideration? And I would mm. kind of cross-reference from there. So it was kind of this mixture of getting the pitches were a great starting off point and then taking those names to my sources and seeing, you know, just learning a little bit more about them throughout that process. That's really cool. How long did it take you to do, like, compile all the research and write that? Because it seems like a lot. Yeah, you know, the actual writing process, and I think this is a testament to, you know, having the pitches like right in that folder when I was ready to go and the pitches came in over a couple of months, you know, in the fall. So I think I had an interview with somebody in December and it, it was just an, an, like an on background, you know, chit chatting with somebody and they yeah. had said that they were um, really, really excited about the space and it kind of reignited my interest and I went back and I looked through all of these pitches that I'd received over, you know, previous months. And, and some of those startups I had maybe done intro calls with, and some of them, you know, I, I didn't end up chatting with at all at the time. Um, but then it was really only a few weeks of scheduling a few calls, asking around, and then, you know, circling back with, you know, the startups themselves or the, the PR agencies that represent them to get a little bit more information and some fact checking, you know, how much money have you raised? When were you founded? Making sure that I had all of the pictures updated, which, which does take a little bit of time, but you know, since I had that initial, you know, email folder filled with ideas, it was, it was a lot easier to execute on the back end. That's really great. And, and that kind of even gives me hope because we've definitely, I definitely ran into that probably at Insider where I maybe had done those, like set up those intro calls and then we might not hear back maybe. And then it, mm -hmm. it's cool. It's cool to know that like, just because something doesn't come out of a potential opportunity right away, like in a call that it sounds like, you know, you guys are just trying to do your due diligence, do your jobs and kind of get your ducks in a row that it could lead to something in the future, even if it's not like now. Basically. Yeah, I would say, yeah, definitely. I would, yeah, I would say that I tend to do a lot of intro calls and I always really appreciate when it's, you know, no strings attached, even though I know it'd be yeah. great if, you know, we, I could be writing three or four things every day. It's, you know, it's not feasible. And even if I did kind of have that cadence, I, I wouldn't get to everything. Um, but I, it, it's, it's, it's kind of a hard thing to say, like, oh, just be patient. Because um, I know a lot of times, right. if, if you work with an agency, it's like a, maybe a monthly thing, or, you know, sometimes it might change out at the end of the year. And I know that's really tough. But 
if that patience of like a month or two, oftentimes that's kind of when I circle back and I say, okay, I'm thinking about all of these calls that I've had in the last month and the people that I've met and the pitches I've received, like what maybe is deserving of its own story as a standalone or more often, what are some of the general themes I'm seeing just in my reporting day to day? Um, and what kind of bigger story can we tell? And that's when I tend to go back and I'm, you know, scheduling those follow-up calls saying, Hey, can we put this bit that I was interested in on the record? I'm writing a story. Um, so I tend to think of it like that is, you know, it's, it's an important part of my reporting process. And then when I'm sitting at the end of the month or every four to six weeks or whatever, and, and thinking about those big themes is when I'll start to kind of draw from those, you know, conversations and those emails that I've gotten and, and potentially and hopefully turn it into something bigger. That's cool. And then like with that said, like we've never really talked about intro calls before on the show. We've talked about intro emails, probably similar to some of the more like just basic pitches you got where, you know, they're just introducing their company, maybe their CEO and what they're available for. Um, but with an intro call, what's helpful for you? Like I imagine it's better to talk to maybe like leadership over a publicist. Um, are there any other things you're looking for when you're doing an intro call with um, a potential source? Yeah, definitely. So leadership is always great. If somebody's offering up the chance to chat with, you know, a founder, a CEO, I'm always definitely going to be more interested in that, especially if it's right kind of in that sweet spot of where I cover of what I cover. So if you're pitching me, you know, something like completely unrelated to my beat, it's probably not something that I have time for. But if you're offering up, you know, for instance, an intro call to, you know, a founder of a women's health startup or a mental health startup that is really, really hot right now. Um, it doesn't even need to have to be particularly newsworthy. And I think that's also something that I really appreciated in the past um, is when I'm talking to a publicist and they say, you know, I'd love to schedule you just for an intro call, maybe not even necessarily for a story right now, but just so you could put a name to a face so you can just chat a little bit and it, they're always very casual. I, I don't send, you know, I, I don't send questions in advance usually anyway, but the expectation is it's just we're getting, you know, face-to-face -face over Zoom or, or even on the phone or maybe in person, um, but just learning a little bit more about who they are, learning a little bit more about, you know, if it's a founder, their founding story or their background, if they're a VC or, or whatever it is. And then, yeah. you know, talking just, you know, industry chatter a little bit more generally. And I might get some ideas from that. Um, or it, it might be something where in a month and a half when I'm tasked to write something about, you know, a, a feature and analysis on mental health startups, I can remember that conversation that I had, you know, a month ago or whatever. And that's probably going to be top of the list for who I who I'm reaching out to, to, to do something on the record with. Oh, that's really good. So, I mean, this is cool. Cause it's, I mean, it's, it's just relationship building, but it's nice mm -hmm. to know that that's just another tool for a publicist disposal. And maybe it's more common in like the startup space, but like, I'm even thinking ahead to some of the clients I work with is offering that call, especially if, you know, I know some people like to meet in person, but not everybody lives in New York or LA and, you know, mm -hmm. just trying to, make that connection. That's super cool. So thanks for sharing that. That's yeah. It's interesting. Um, Britt, do you have any follow-up questions to that or anything we've talked about so far? Um, I think I have a question about, it's kind of hard to phrase, but I know when you're looking at what startups to cover, you obviously consider the mission and the product itself and mm. what it brings to the industry or the space that it works in, works within. But when you're looking at the founder um, themselves, what sort of things are you looking at? Are you Do you care much, for example, about their social media following? I will say I don't, I guess sometimes, sometimes I'll take a look at that. And I feel like there are, I can't think of anybody off the top of my head, but there's a certain type of founder that has really worked to whether it they have like 300,000 followers or they're just using their social media to become like an expert in their field and kind of like an expert voice. And I think that's really interesting. It's not necessarily like a deal breaker for me. Um, but I would say that the most interesting thing that I look for when I'm thinking about a founder that I'm, that I'm interested in, in getting to know more is that they have that personal story or element to what they're doing and why um, anybody can, can, or I feel like most anybody can, can, 
uh, create a startup in any whatever industry that they're potentially interested in. But I think it's those people, especially in, in healthcare, a lot of people have really personal stories. Um, and a lot of those people, maybe they have healthcare backgrounds, maybe they have, yeah, a social media following where they are either sharing about themselves or they are kind of positioning themselves to be an expert in, you know, whatever field that they're talking about. And they have these tweet threads all the time that are, you know, interesting to to listen to and and read and and maybe I reach out to people, you know, for that as well. But a lot of times it just, you know, social media is not quite as important as, you know, that founder story and like why they're doing it. Um, and yeah, if that translates to social media and a great following, that's, that's really cool. Um, but it's definitely not a requirement. Good to know. I love that answer. Okay. That makes sense. And gives, gives us hope. (laughs) When we have gone to <laughs> might not have such a strong social following, but a fantastic story and mission. Yeah, definitely not a requirement. Although if somebody is making a name for themselves, like on TikTok, like that could be really, really fun sometimes. But yeah. if like not somebody's forte, that is is truly like, it, it's always like an interesting asterisk, but I, I would say it's like very rarely, it's never a deal breaker. And it's very rarely the thing that it's like immediately making me drawn to a person. Cool. That's cool. That's a good question, Britt. I hadn't thought about it, but it makes sense. Cause I think what you're getting at too, is like when you represent maybe somebody who like people don't really widely know or anything, like whether people are going to care about coverage of that founder, but that's, I like the hook of the story. That makes sense. Yeah. Samantha, do you ever, um, you mentioned, uh, someone, you know, using TikTok to talk about their startup and their mission or the products that they're selling or the topics that they can speak to. Do you ever just come across someone on TikTok and then reach out to them because you liked what they were saying or what they're representing? Oh, yeah. yeah, definitely. So TikTok is a little funny because you can't really message. It's harder to message somebody directly in the app mm-hmm. um, because I think you have to be following each other on the app. And if somebody is like really big, they're probably not following you back. And so they can't see your message. But yeah, if I'm scrolling through and and this happened probably this has happened probably less since I moved over to cover startups in VC, but back when TikTok was maybe a little bit more novel, um, I would regularly have like when I covered big law and when I covered finance, there are some like TikTokers who are like really big in that space. And so in like 2021, 2020, early 2022, before I feel like TikTok has really blown up in the last year and a half or so, but I've like profiled people who have kind of like built up, you know, I work at a a big law firm and I am sharing my life on TikTok or I'm talking about the LSAT or I'm talking about, you know, issues within, you know, big law. We did a story um, last summer and we talked about um, it was also a list, but it was VCs who are on, on TikTok. And that one was fun to put together too. And we didn't do a profile. We did a list. It was a roundup of, I think 10 or 15 that were on there. So occasionally, yes. Um, and I know that there are some startup founders who are pretty big on TikTok as well, but at this point, I feel like a lot of them have also already been covered in other, in other outlets that they've gotten big enough that they've definitely had, you know, a profile there. So for us, you know, if we want to tell a new story, it probably isn't just going to be that hook that they are on TikTok because at this point they've, it's probably been been covered elsewhere, which is totally fine. Um, but it's always kind of an interesting aside if I'm writing about a founder and you know maybe there maybe there's a line in the story about how they're you know kind of also building this you know community to fifty thousand followers or you know maybe they were they came up with their new product in their product line because you know, they got great feedback on this app that they have a, a huge community in. So it's always, it's always fun when that, when that comes into play. Um, I have a question, follow-up question to the um, not being covered like by other outlets. Um, are you, maybe I don't know how to word this, but I'm going to try. <laughs> um, when you're looking at a founder to like, let's say you're thinking about like featuring a founder or a um, fintech startup if if let's say like tech it's a timely angle but tech crunch maybe covered it extensively is that something that would like maybe steer you away from like necessarily focusing on that um company or founder or is it more so trying to find that unique angle from within and still covering it if it's timely do you know what i'm asking oh yeah Yeah, I do. I would say it's never going to, if it's a great story, it being covered elsewhere is never going to deter me. But 
I am okay. never going to write like, here's the same story in the same angle that you can see in three or four other outlets. So yeah, for Makes me, it's a good, yeah. So if it's a good story and a good, you know, founder and everything else, it's great for me. And this is literally like, this is literally my job is like telling that really unique angle that you have to come to me and you have to come to my publication to, to get it. And you're not going to get it anywhere else. And I know, especially when you think about like, you know, pitch decks and like funding round stories, those can be really tricky sometimes because yes, like probably there is a, you know, PR newswire thing that goes out. It's probably been aggregated to a few, you know, a few other websites and probably somebody like TechCrunch or um, some other outlets have already covered, you know, fundraise. And so when I'm looking at something like that, it's like, what are my competitors going to be doing? Um, or I guess my peers mm -hmm. in the industry as well. Like, yeah. what, how are they going to be telling the story and how can I tell it differently? And that answer sometimes might be, you know, it's not a fit for us right now, but in two months when I'm writing that, you know, analysis piece or that next next day or next week's story, you might yep. be the first person I'd call when things have died down. So it's kind of tough. I would say it, it's never, it, it's more, um, it's more topical and it's more kind of like finding that unique angle than it is, okay, well, five people have, you know, covered this founder and I'm keeping a tally. And so now I can't cover them. So right. it, it's way, it's, yeah, it's, it's just way more about, you know, finding that angle that, that really works for us and, and makes my story unique. That makes a lot of sense. All right. So moving on here, I know we've talked a lot about your email habits, um, but I kind of want to wrap it up with a final talking point related to that. Um, so we know that even though it's not a yes, you tend to save and categorize your emails that maybe stick out to you. And over time, you come back to pitches that maybe were sent months ago. And that's great. But do you, I imagine the answer is yes, you do get a lot of emails to your inbox. But with that said, are you checking it throughout the day? Do you reserve that for just certain times of day? Um, and if so, like, does it matter when a publicist reaches out? And while I'm on the topic of asking this question, I'm going to give you a follow-up to that. Do you actually answer and read every email or are you very like choosy about what you're opening and, and, and responding to? So feel free, play in the, in the sandbox of the rest of these email <laughs> questions. No, 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 this, this is great. I, <laughs> this is so nerdy, but I like talking about email management. Yay. My is an inbox zero. Um, I'm not ah. there and I need to, one thing I need to be better. And I'm kind of glad you brought it up about checking email certain times a day is I can kind of fall into that trap where I'm like checking it too often. Um, and uh -huh. I try to set good parameters for myself. And I found that what works really well in a perfect day is, you know, starting my day with like an email power hour an email block where I'm doing all of my follow-ups. I, um, you know, clearing out everything that came into my inbox overnight and then maybe checking it two or three times throughout the day, unless I am on, you know, breaking news and I am needing to kind of continuously refresh until, you know, I'm getting what I need. Um, so with that being said, I, your question about, you know, when somebody, I, I don't care necessarily because it's kind of like, I see it, you know, first thing in the morning or whenever it is, but it's like, I'm getting to it when I get to it. And it, 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 I don't have a preference necessarily if I see it pop in my inbox at 6 a.m. versus 12.05, you know, at lunch. Um, so that doesn't matter to me. Um, I do get a lot of emails and I'm sure you guys probably hear this a lot. It's just impossible yeah. to respond to any, to everything. Um, I, I try to, and I know that I fail. So I know if people that I've worked with in the past have listened to this. Like I, I probably owe you an email at some point, but it's just when you're getting, you know, a hundred emails a day. It's just, it's like very, very difficult to kind of keep on top of everything. So I really try to do like a morning email power hour, check it a few times during the day. A lot of things like, unfortunately end up going and kind of like, a, you know, I, I might categorize it into themes that I'm interested in this theme, like FinTech health techs, but it just, I can't put this on my plate right now. And so I might throw it in there. Um, and then I have just kind of another general, like, I'd love to connect with this person at some point, but I just simply do not have the bandwidth to work that into my schedule right now. I kind of have a folder for that as well. Um, in terms of, I try to read every email and consider every email or pitch that 
pertains to things that I'm working on. Um, so th- I think that was one of your questions about like, do I skim? Do I read them all? Do I read some of them? Am I choosy? And it's kind of a mix. Like anything that is just like spammy or is kind of going out as like a listserv and you can tell, I immediately will delete those. Even for the, a lot of times, even if they happen to be on my beat, I just don't have the time to kind of sift through all of that and try to find ones that maybe are useful to me. Um, and then if something just is just not relevant and maybe occasionally, like if somebody like one of my colleagues is like top of mind, I may forward it, you know, to somebody else, but the chances of that are also really low. So, you know, if, if you're pitching me about the creator economy or you're pitching me about, you know, something Bitcoin or web three, because I get a lot of those pitches all the time, even still with, with how, you know, crypto is right now. Um, I don't cover that. So I don't. I don't even respond to say, no, thank you. I don't cover that. I just automatically gets archived or yeah, I guess I don't delete emails, but I do archive it. Um, and then with everything else, I try to get back and at least say, Hey, I may be interested in this. Um, if it's squarely within, you know, my beat and it, and it makes sense, uh, for me. And I probably failed at that and will continue to fail at that, but that's kind of how I'm thinking about, you know, I get rid of all the clutter and stuff that I'm definitely just not going to cover. And, and those things I, I typically don't end up responding to unless maybe it's somebody I have a prior relationship with and I can kind of give them a courtesy, like heads up, this isn't my beat anymore. Or like, this isn't really a fit for me. Like these need to go to this person. But if I don't know you and you're pitching me, you know, your, your web three startup, I'm, I'm not going to cover that. <laughs> or you're pitching me your yacht. I'm also not going to cover that. And I get a lot of those pitches too, which is weird. Um, but anything in my beat, um, I'm at least, I'm at least looking at, I'm thinking about, and I'm thinking big picture about, you know, how I can work that in, you know, maybe at some point. Yeah, that's, those are good answers and, uh, seems along the lines of what we've heard from other, um, journalists. So I would not say that you're failing at not responding. I, I feel like it's like, <laughs> yeah, industry, uh, standard to, you know, we get it. I, hopefully we get it. I know that you probably get some. Uh, annoying follow-ups. Um, our kind of general rule of thumb that we've been hearing and that we tend to tell people is one follow-up and then let it go unless you are certain that they really, really, really missed it and that it's a perfect fit. Then you might follow up a second time, but use it sparingly. Um, do you kind of think that that's okay? Like, do you appreciate a follow-up every once in a while? One follow-up is good, especially if it's timely those I normally kind of like jog my memory to go back and and look Mm -hmm. at it. But yeah, I would say beyond that, it just, it starts to get a little bit annoying. And if I see like that, I have a follow-up from you and it's like, you know, it has a little parentheses next to how many emails are in the chain and it's like seven or eight and they're all you re-fishing me. (laughs) That is probably when it's going to get moved to like a block, unfortunately. Because yeah, Yeah. one one follow-up is good. Anything beyond that. Just it's just not helpful. Overkill. Yep. Um, That's so good. But um, speaking of being helpful, uh, we're kind of going to flip the script. So we've talked a lot about when publicists know that they they know how to contact you. They're making it apparent how you contact them. But we're going to talk about the tweet that you wrote um, not too long ago. Um, I'm glad I came across it because it kind of had me chuckling a little bit. Um, I'm going to. Actually, do you want to read it out loud? If you don't have it handy, I can read it. It's I can I can read it out loud. Um, I have to. That'd pull be kind it of up. fun. <laughs> yeah, take your time because yeah, I, I feel like with your voice, it could really because it's got person. The tweet has personality, people. Like I love the oh way you punctuated you. it. I punctuated <laughs> it. Yeah, I'm almost there. Okay, here it is. This is in this is the beginning of January, but I said. I'm just a humble tech reporter begging for startups to add some sort of contact info, press email, form submission, anything to their website. And there are a lot of ellipses in there <laughs> and there were a lot of <laughs> exclamation points in there too. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. What's the story behind this? Just out of curiosity. You don't have to name drop the company, but like what, what was yeah, going I, on here? I won't name drop the company, but it's actually funny that we've had this conversation about the fintech health tech list story that I did because it was going through that. I had I had oh, gotten to the point cool. where I had had yeah I had the conversation, and this has happened before where it's like you have the conversations with 
you know, you have the startups kind of in mind, you've had those conversations with your sources and you kind of have the list that, you know, maybe you've gotten from pitches or that you've heard. And then, you know, your VC source says, hey, you should know about these three or four additional companies. And, you know, I don't have any relationship to these other two companies, but I'm, I'm very jealous of them. And I think they're awesome. And you should include these two. And then when yeah. you sit down to send the emails and say, hello, like, I'm very interested in what you do. We'd like to include you in this list. And you can find literally no way to actually get in touch with them. And it's like, <laughs> your That's options so like end up being like, like cold reaching out to another random VC who maybe led like their pre-seed round three years ago and saying, Hey, do you have the contact information for like these founders or, you know, messaging people on LinkedIn, which I know those messages like sometimes get really get filtered. Um, or like sometimes, sometimes I've gotten lucky, like finding, you know, old press releases from like two years ago when somebody announced like a new CTO and then it has a PR contact down at the bottom. And I've tried, tried that as well, but it's just sometimes like start, I think it's a lot of startups sometimes just don't want, or for whatever reason, like don't have any contact information, which is really tough because it's like, I've heard good things about you from multiple people. So I definitely, my interest is peaked and I want to hear more. Um, and then it's like, if you're on deadline, you know, you get to a point, I think there are definitely like two or three you know, fintech health tech startups from, you know, my initial list that I finally said, I've, I've tried to get in touch with you guys, like, you know, four different ways, and I can't find a good email address for you all. So I'm, I, unfortunately, I'm just gonna, I, you know, I'm gonna cut you. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's just, it's tough sometimes. But yes, I, I want to reach out. <laughs> I don't have a way to reach out. That's funny. I uh, related to that. I just had a call with a potential client and um, I was looking at their website and I noticed, um, I think you could, they had a contact form, but they didn't have like a press page or anything. And um, Mm -hmm. I was like, where's your press page? And they're like, oh, we just like, we got, we did our website uh, uplift or we, we up, we got our website redone and uh, we just don't um, think it's, we don't think there's any value in it. And I had to pause and be like, no, there's value. I thought about your tweet, um, but I also thought about um, (laughs) at a a fintech company that I worked at um, a little, a long time ago, back in 2015 to 2018. And I also one time as a publicist believed that our press page was pointless because I'm like, why do we need that? Like, does anyone even like go there? And um, we had our... um, like our analyst kind of pull the numbers on traffic and I was pretty impressed. A lot of people visited that page and it's like, Hmm. goes along with what you're saying. I mean, people, you need to have a clear way for public, uh, for journalists and other people to know who you are and how to contact you. So this is, this is a really good tweet. I'm, I'm not surprised it happens, but it is kind of mind boggling that you couldn't find even a form submission on some of these sites. Yeah. And you know, a form submission is like not ideal. Like I'd rather have an oh, email or a phone number if I, <laughs> if I need it, but I'll like, I'll take a form from semester. Yeah. I think it's because a lot of startups, like, I don't know, my hypothesis is that a lot of them, maybe they built their website or, you know, maybe they haven't dealt with the press like a ton. I mean, a, you know, a big startup obviously is, is going to have, had, you know, prior media coverage. But if you're a really young startup, maybe you're pre-seed or maybe you're seed or maybe even like up to a series A and just depending on, you know, your industry, you just might not have had kind of that interface with the press before. You've just been able to handle it by, you know, kind of, you know, funneling through that, you know, request like directly to the founder or something. So I get it. Like with small companies, maybe that's not their first, like, thing yeah. top of mind when they're thinking about building out, but even like at the footer of your website, having like a, you know, an info at startupname.com or press at startupname.com. Um, then if you really want to spoil us, like an entire press page with like <laughs> high res images, like assets, like founding story, like, you know, that's great, but uh, yeah. I'll just take, I'll just take an email. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Email at minimum. And then icing on the cake would be like those high res images. Um, what about like logos and stuff like that kind of thing helpful for you or do you um, prefer we just, don't like, publish, pictures? Yeah. We don't publish logos really for us. It's like that high res photo of, you know, the founder, the CEO, the founding team, like whatever makes sense for you and your company. Um, mm-hmm. I know some, uh, some startups though, like, or some, sorry, some media companies really like, 
you know, the logos or kind of like the, if, you, if it's a consumer product, they like, you know, pictures of, of the product as well. Um, not as important for me, but I know okay. it is for other people, but definitely because if I'm writing a story about you, I'm going to be kind of going back and forth with, you know, your PR person asking for those high res images anyway. And if it's just already mm -hmm. on the website, that's so great. Even better. Yeah. yeah. Then you're, you're not having to dig and it saves you time. It's like a lot more yeah. efficient than having to go back and forth. Yeah. Um, and it saves the, the press person time as well. They're not having to go back and forth. You know, they can just shoot me an email and like all the assets are right here on this link or I can find it myself as opposed to like going back and forth. And, you know, the founder is like, oh, we don't have a high res image. Or like, this is what we have. And it's like a blurry, tiny little photo. And then they're like, oh, this is the best we can do. And then it's like oh, it's the whole thing. So yeah, if you have the brand asset somewhere, or the, you know, company headshots, like that's also like so great. But an email is really just the important thing. Like, let me get in touch with you and then we can kind of worry about the other stuff. But it it's tough when you're really excited about writing about somebody and you can't even get in touch with them. Um, there's not always a barrier to coverage. Like if you're newsworthy, like we're going to write about it anyway. Um, but if it's one of these things where it's, you know, this is my kind of feature analysis story of the week. Um, if I'm spending, you know, 15 plus minutes, like trying to figure out like where to even send an email, you know, like, you know, cost yeah. analysis. I'm I, eventually. I'm just going to have to kind of cut you out, which really sucks. Um, so yeah, emails are great. Yeah. So with assets, I hear you on the photos. Um, you guys don't necessarily publish logos, but maybe some other writers would like, um, like the product images, like maybe screenshots. But in general, are there any other assets that um, you've seen that are kind of interesting and useful that has been helpful in the past, or do you think that? photos and photos really covers it um in terms of assets i would say photos really really cover it for me okay. um and it's a little bit different this is a little bit different than just like assets but you know if you have like i'm trying to think of like a good way to say this like a lot of times with like early companies like there have been a lot of musical chairs in terms of you know maybe your executive team or like somebody was a co-founder and they're not involved with the company anymore so like an update too of like who everybody is that I'm dealing with or like so-and-so used to be the CEO, but they're not anymore. Like there are so yeah. many times when all of that stuff is really, really out of date. And I, I will oftentimes like send an mm. email to, you know, just to double check that titles are correct. But you know, if it's like plastered all over the internet that somebody is like the co-CEO and then I get an email after a story has been published, I would say like, I don't, Thankfully, I don't do a lot of corrections. Like, I, I think I do my job pretty well. But the most common, like, you know, correction I, m I might have to make an update on is, in a story is that, you know, there's somebody in their title is actually not correct. Or like, oh, well, their, you know, role was changed from, like, chief tech officer to, like, some other euphemistic, you know, whatever title that their company calls them, which is totally fine. It's just make sure all of that is is updated or I've always really appreciated occasionally when a PR person will follow up with me and be like, you know, here are the headshots you requested. Also just like a rundown of like the exec team in case you mentioned them is like, this person is our like CEO and co-founder and just like give a rundown of like everybody's titles. Part of that is also, it's my job to, to know and to ask, but I, that's always just been like a lifesaver is when somebody can follow up and, and just give me a, a double check on all of that. That's really great. And the <clears throat> reminding people to keep things updated is so important because I think uh, just I know you're super busy. It's the same on our end. And I think mm -hmm. oftentimes we're in a rush trying to just send, you know, the right pitches at the right time. It might take up a lot of time. And then we forget that, oh, actually, like our press page has um, so-and-so's title wrong. It, it used to be that way, but not anymore. So it's always good to remember um actually the last episode we had talked about the importance of details. And I feel like this is a very, very good thing to bring up is remembering to, as changes happen within the company, you know, ensuring that a, the publicist knows, but B that those things are reflected properly in all the materials. So thanks for, that's cool. That was, that was super interesting. I hadn't thought about like, you know, what the most common correction might be that you would have, you know, like, if you did have to make any. <laughs> That's cool. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it's always nice. Cause like, I think, I think sometimes with this, um, with these episodes, you we do get a lot of similar answers. And so like when we hear something fresh, we're like, ah, 
that's different. Like, why haven't I heard that one before? So yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, of course. Um, so I think we're pretty much going to wrap it up here, except for we're going to ask two more questions. Um, the second to last question is basically, are there any other tips for publicists or even just startup founders who are trying to pitch you for insider? Anything that they might consider or want to keep in mind, um, aside from the things we talked about? And if the answer is no, that's cool too. It's whatever you, this is, I'm giving you the mic. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I appreciate that. I think one of the top things, and I think I might've mentioned it or touched okay. on it briefly earlier when we were, um, talking about, um, like how to pitch and how to make a pitch stand out, or if somebody else has gotten, you know, media coverage, does that mean that I won't cover it, which is, you know, not true. So when you're um, reaching out about a pitch, and I'm, this is probably, you know, stuff that, that you all have heard before and that other people have said, but like having a timeliness element to a pitch, if you want coverage is really, really helpful. It is like very rare, if not, if, if never, that I get a pitch about like, hey, you should know this startup. Are you interested in profiling them? And it has like, you know, they haven't just raised around or, you know, they are in talks to go public or it's, it's very rare that I'm just going to kind of, you know, just kind of do an evergreen like profile on, on one startup or on one founder. Um, if the founder has an interesting story, like maybe that's helpful, but I would say that like, I do get a lot of pitches that, um, and that's when I will generally say like, can we just do an intro call? And, and I really appreciate when they're saying, well, I just want this startup to be on your radar. Can you just do it as an intro call? But a lot of times too, I'll just get these pitches and I'm sure the startup is great. And I'm sure the founder is really, really cool, but it's, it's very much asking for like, kind of like a, like a glowing profile and it just doesn't have anything that's necessarily newsworthy about it at the moment. And and that's yeah. really likely, it's just going to probably end up in a, in a folder somewhere and, and maybe I'll, I'll pick it out in a few months. And that's great because we've kind of talked about this whole episode about how, how that, that is helpful, but you know, if you want that story placed next week or this month or whatever it is, it needs to have a news news element to it. Um, and you need to like really help me make that clear whether you've done a fundraising round or like, you know, whatever it is, or like this is a crisis that we're kind of experiencing right now and, and here's how we're poised to help. Um, that can be really helpful too, but help me identify like the news angle for a story because it's probably just, it's probably never just going to be kind of a straight profile. It's just not the work that I do. Um, and then I, I will say the other thing too is very rarely do we publish, and this kind of also goes back to, you know, thinking about an, you know, an interesting angle um, for a story. We very rarely will publish, and this is just an insider thing. Um, if somebody's raised a funding round, we'll very rarely just cover that as so and so is raised around. Like here's who invested in the startup. Here's a couple of nice, nice quotes. Um, so if you really want your funding round published at Insider like offer up the pitch deck. We love pitch decks. Our readers love our pitch decks. It's, you know, a formula and it's a story format that like really, really works for us. And we love to do it. And I understand like, and this is specifically for, for startups, obviously not everybody wants to share them and that's like completely fine. But if you're really, really keen on getting coverage for your funding round, um, at least at Insider, like we really do want to have the deck to include with it because um, our readers love to see it. So that's a very specific piece of advice. And the other one's a little bit more broad, but those I think are two things that that are really really helpful and help elevate for me a pitch from, okay this is great to you know maybe I need to bring this up to my editor sooner rather than later and see about getting something on the on the publishing calendar. Ooh, include the pitch deck. We've not I, had that one yet. No, we hadn't. That's really cool. I have a question about the timeliness um, mm -hmm. suggestion. So could it be something as simple as tying? their pitch into a, um, a monthly holiday, like it's heart health month or mental health month. <laughs> or is that like classic? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Completely. I was going to say, I get, I get a lot of pitches like that. And for me personally, no, I know that yeah. I read stories where they're tied in and I'm, I'm thinking of like a lot of great, like digital magazines who might have like health and wellness magazines or women's magazines that, I see those stories all the time and it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, for me, like, no, because I don't necessarily publish like feature service journalism stories that are related to specific holidays. Um, but a good timeliness example, and this is actually something my colleague did last year, 
is when the baby formula shortage was really, really bad. Um, she did get a few pitches from startups who um, were kind of like in the baby formula innovation space. And they said, you know, we don't have news to share necessarily. We're not raising a funding round. We didn't just like announce a new CEO or anything like that. But like we're at the forefront of helping out with like this crisis that is all over the news right now. And that angle and like that timeliness really did work for us. So, you know, whatever the news of the week is or the news of the month is like, that's great. But just a, a holiday for me is, is probably not probably not going to going to rise to the level of, of newsworthiness for coverage. Oh, I'm glad you asked that question, Britt, because yeah. I think the, that tends to be kind of temp- tempting for a lot of publicists is to go that route. Um, right. Yeah. Let's be more inventive. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, cool. Thanks for answering those that question, Samantha. And um, also, yeah, the pitch deck suggestion too is very – is new. Like I said, we haven't had anyone tell us that's helpful. And yeah, is it like something that you get a lot of pushback from just out of curiosity? Occasionally. Um, and, and it's more so just because a lot of younger stage companies, like especially if they're innovating in a new area, yeah. don't necessarily want to show their pitch deck. So it's like, it's one of those things yeah. where I completely get it. And also to people, don't pitch your pitch decks to anybody else. Just pitch them to me and <laughs> pitch them to my yeah. colleagues. At Insider, yes. we want all of them. <laughs> I'm kind of <laughs> kidding, but I'm not really kidding. We really do love that doing is. those. But I mean, for our audience, it is a lot of um, it is a lot of like VC-minded people, at least to read kind of like our section with an insider, or it's um, people who maybe want to be entrepreneurs, or um, they're just really, really interested in the space. So again, you can go read the press release, and they do read the press release when it goes out um, about you know a funding round, but. Uh, if somebody is willing to exclusively like share the pitch deck with us and I know like TechCrunch will, will publish them pitch decks as well too. But for our readers, I think they really like to see, you know, here's what somebody else did to be successful because maybe I would like to be successful in this arena one day too. And we have like a big pitch deck library that, you know, readers can go in and like filter. We have like thousands of, of pitch decks. So it's like a, it's, it's definitely a story type that we tend to do a lot of, but Definitely all that to say, unless you are like the former CEO of like, I don't know, I, I can't even think of, I don't know, it's, you know, unless you're like a famous like tech person who's like venturing out to start their startup, um, that might be worthy of coverage regardless. But if you're, you know, somebody who's just starting out, who's raised a series A or a series B, like we, we want to see, you know, the, the presentation that you use to to, to get investors to, to bet on you. So we definitely like want to see the materials and publish the materials with that. All right, let's move on to our favorite. Well, I shouldn't speak for you, Britt, but this is my favorite part of the show. I think it's one of yours. Okay, cool. I like that. Um, Shout outs. Um, So this is your opportunity. If there's any, and um, typically it's to a publicist, but oftentimes it can be even a startup founder, anybody that has been particularly good at collaborating with you in the past in terms of, you know, the relationship between us and the media. Um, yeah, definitely. You want to give a shout out to awesome. Yeah, so I'll give a couple. I'll give a couple shout outs. So in house, um, Caraway, which is a women's health startup, and they are focusing on providing you know women's health services, reproductive health services to college age women and Gen Z women. Um, their in house PR person, um, her name is Audrey. She is great, and so she's kind of like regularly. We don't cover every single you know company update that they have, but. Um, they kind of gave us an exclusive on when Caraway launched, like last year, gave us a lot of time, um, you know, with the founders to speak with us really candidly about some of the things that they're seeing in the market and then have regularly kind of like offered them back up to chat through, you know, anytime that there's kind of like a, a, a news, you know, update in women's health. And, and most of the times these days, it's like kind of bad because there are a lot of really scary things happening, you know, in our you know, government when it comes to 
you know, women's health and, and what women are allowed to do and, and not allowed to do with their health. So lots of conversations that like continuously are like happening there and have made the, you know, the CEO and the co-founders like really accessible to, to more conversations. And I can always, if I'm, you know, writing about something else, you know, mental health related, that's kind of adjacent to their platform. Um, they're always great about, you know, being game to at least hop on the phone and like talk me through some of my ideas and, um, you know, if I may be interested in, you know, chatting with them, like for a source for any of these stories, I feel like she's always a good person that I can like call, call on. Um, and then industry wide, I will say there are a lot of great women working at um, JVC, which is a boutique um, marketing and, and PR firm. Um, and they have a lot of clients who are really great for me for like women's health. But I like it as well, because um, they have folks who cover everything, but they're very good about filtering, you know, we know that we have a ton of clients in like all of these areas. And we understand and acknowledge that you're in the health and wellness startup space. And so we're not going to bother you with like, hey, well, will you just take a look at this like random, you know, client in our portfolio. Um, so I feel like that's what really makes me feel respected, that they are just willing to, you know, not try to inundate me with all the other stuff that they have going on. And they're out building relationships with with other reporters who cover, you know, other clients in their portfolio. And they're really, really good about filtering the, you know, very relevant information about, you know, kind of their health and wellness, you know, startups. And I've, I've collaborated on, on those women uh, with those women on a bunch of stories as well. So both great one in-house one agency, but um, there are a lot of people who are great as well too. I, I tend to have pretty good, good experiences with PR people, but, but those two definitely come to mind as like extra special and extra helpful. That's great. Is there anything else before we wrap things up? Any any final thoughts or words? Um, I don't I don't think so. This has been a really great conversation. Thanks so much for having me on and listening to me like ramble about all of my thoughts on on emails and about all this other stuff. It was really fun. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of We Earn Media. If you head over to weearnmedia.com, you'll find a summary of the episode along with links to any of the resources and more information about our lovely guest and where you can find them online. If you have any topic suggestions or just general PR questions for us or future guests, email us at podcast at weearnmedia.com. Of course, you can also find us on social media. Our handle is at weearnmedia and we're on Twitter and Instagram. 